Hi, I'm Alice. I'm Belinda. I'm Kelly. I'm Lara. And I'm Stacy. We're so excited to bring you Tales from the Toolbox. Thanks for joining us. And welcome to our podcast full of stories. We'll share how we've used the amazing hand-in-hand parenting tools in our own lives. Or seen it skillfully done by those around us. Welcome to Tales from the Toolbox. Hi, I'm Alice in Shetland. This week, we all got together to discuss stay listening, the hand-in-hand tool for dealing with those emotional moments that pop up so frequently as we navigate life with our children. We talk about what makes this tool so special, from helping children heal from past hurts and experiences, to the way it helps our children build resilience and find their own answers to problems that might have seemed insurmountable just minutes earlier. We also dive into how we found that just staying and listening, rather than jumping in to fix things, has been so helpful in our own families. This is a tool where doing less can bring so much more, but even though it's simple, it's not always easy. And you'll hear us talk a bit about why listening partnerships for us are so critical and helping build the capacity to listen well to our children. We'll be sharing more about that tool next week. For now, join us as we share a few tales about how hanging in there lovingly and calmly when a child is having big feelings about an octopus in the toilet or magic quills that just won't work the way they do in the movies is perhaps the biggest gift you can give your child in that hard moment. Hi everyone. Shall we start with some bright spots? Yay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a nice one from last night. Um, I ran a, um, a starter class. It's a six week hand in hand class. And it was the final session. And it was just so nice to hear everyone like looking back over the six weeks and seeing how far they'd come. Um, it never fails to amaze me how much of a shift you can get in just such a short time. So it was lovely. And they were a really lovely group to work with. Mm. Um, my bright spot is books. Just generally, my boys are enjoying reading independently, and we read together. And I have a big stack of books on my bedside table that make me really happy. So just reading is a real delight at the moment, and particularly sharing it with my boys. Sort of the books they get excited about, then I will often read, and then we talk about them, and it's really fun. Hmm. What recommendations? Oh, I can identify with that. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, I think the brightest spot for me um, this morning was getting everybody on the bus. (laughs) 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 I'm very lucky where I live that the bus for school comes basically just right outside our house. And this morning, the bus comes at half eight and this morning they were all still asleep at ten past eight yeah. we kind of slept in. I never noticed the time I was like, oh! and so and the, the boys had swimming and uh, yeah so it was um, chaos but I felt like very uh, pleased that they all managed to catch the bus <laughs> well done you um my bright spot is that I've been working on trying to uh, duplicate my favorite Starbucks drink, and I have finally figured out <laughs> the right ratios. 
and it's fantastic because now I can make it at home most mornings and it's it it brightens my day (laughs) awesome that is amazing I think we need to know what that is yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite is a uh, Starbucks chai tea latte, and it's so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my bright spot is um, quite a personal one, but I have always enjoyed being active and, and strong. And yesterday, I've been doing weightlifting as part of my gym sessions for, oh, I don't know, like eight months now. Probably. What's the date? Yeah. And yesterday felt like a huge milestone because I did, it was a one rep max, which means like the most you can do just once, um, a deadlift. And I did a hundred kilos, which is 220 pounds. Yeah. And that felt like a very big milestone for me. And like, it was just for me and by myself and I did it myself. And, um, yeah. So I was really, really chuffed with that. Yeah. It's incredible. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. I love this bright spots that you quite often learn something new and every people I never realized that you did that type of weightlifting. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah you're just ahead on the screen for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have a strong body. Yeah, strong <laughs> and all of this. Um, yeah, it's kind of CrossFit style, not a CrossFit gym, but CrossFit style training. I really enjoy it. I love a physical challenge. Very much. Yeah, so nice to see all your smiley faces. Smiling faces to talk about crying faces. So, um, <laughs> ah, stay listening. Who wants to define stay listening? Laura, you're very good with Come these on, things. Come on, Laura. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> staring at me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, stay listening is our emotional moment tool. It's where we really just show up for our kids when they are upset or hurt or whatever, whatever's happened that's made them sort of off form, off track. And we just listen, really. We just stay with them and we listen to whatever comes up, whether that's tears or rage or any form of upset. Um, And we just bring our warmth and our good attention and our love. And really, it's kind of like the thing where... If you can love them in their worst, hardest moments where they're really showing you how hard life is, then that gives them a huge, I don't know, like a huge reservoir of goodness, I think, to draw on in the rest of their life. And what we find is when you stay listen to a child who's upset and you listen all the way through, which might be five minutes or it might be half an hour, maybe even a little bit longer sometimes, um, the child tends to pop out the other side of it kind of shiny and new, like the sun has come out again. And that for me is like the proof in the pudding that um, this is a tool that really works. It helps them shed stuff from their emotional backpack, um, which we might talk about later, and and kind of return to their life much more resilient and may able to be happy again in a way that might have seemed utterly impossible 20 minutes earlier. And I think that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. There we and, go. We can go home yeah. And it made, me, it made me think, um, you know, you talk about how they come out shiny and new, and sometimes, not always, and you see this a lot also with younger kids, they will come come out of it and suddenly have a developmental spurt of some sort. Or mm-hmm. um, I find that so much with parents that I work with, they will come back with these amazing stories. Because when you start using it for the first time is when you really 
it can be overwhelming to start with because they go, oh, you're going to listen to me now. Let me tell you all about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you hear it. <laughs> I remember this one client I had, she has a daughter who um, had a really, really hard time greeting people, talking to people. She had a lot of social anxiety. And at the same time, mom found any kind of emotional display very overwhelming and just shut it down as quickly as she could. And so when this little girl was about four, um, she stay listened for the first time and she said it was tough. It was long. It was hard. It was, she didn't know if she could come out the other side, but she did. And then the next day she took her daughter to school and it was the, um, you know, COVID times roundabout drop off. And she jumps out of the car and gives her teacher a huge hug and says, good morning. And her mom, all the adults stood there like, what just happened? (laughs) And that to me was just such a beautiful example of something that could happen after a good stay lesson where they really clear out some sort of emotional gunk. And for me as well, what I love about stay listening is you don't even need to know what the gunk is about. You just trust your child knows what the gunk is about. And even they don't need to know what the gunk is about, but they just know how to clear it. It's very powerful. Yeah. I think for me, stay listening was one of the like aha moments in practicing or using the hand in hand tools. It was like, oh, like the first time that it really worked like that, like in Kelly's story, how they had a good cry. I stayed, I listened, they let it all out. And then there was, it was like this light switch kind of moment and everything was brighter, lighter. They felt lighter. They were just more themselves than they had been in quite some time. And to me, that was like, oh, okay, that's all I have to do. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to soothe it. I don't have to appease it. All I have to do is sit here. And it was one of the, I think it's, once you get it and once you um, resource yourself enough to be able to do it, because I feel like that's an important piece of it too, um, it can be really, really, it's bonding too, which sounds weird because you're literally just sitting there listening to your kids scream at you because you will be their target um, because Mm -hmm. you are there, right? It doesn't matter what's happening or why they're having emotions because you're there, you're often their target. Even if they're just like looking at you and crying <laughs> or screaming. It's like the ultimate privilege of parenthood, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love being your safe space. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it's just um, one of those things that is just like, oh, well, that was simple. <laughs> we like to make things a lot more complicated. And it feels like that one for me was really life changing, I think, because I'm very much. Like I wanted to fix, soothe, offer solutions, do all those things. And that just doesn't work in the emotional moment itself. And so listening, that's Mm -hmm. all it was. Just listening, that's all I need. Yeah, and it's so um, (laughs) the opposite of doing and doing and doing. Mm -hmm. It's just being with a child who is releasing tensions and big feelings. Something that really helped me to understand the process of stay listening in the hand-in-hand context was reading a really beautiful description of stay listening in the listen book mm-hmm. um the we can link to the details of the resources but when i read the description of 
a child who is in the process of emotional release who will um, sweat or rise around or have a tantrum or really cry really deeply and also coming out the other side possibly yawn or make eye contact. When I read all those descriptions, that was a really aha moment for me as well because I thought I was listening really well to my children. I was thought I was really thoughtful and responsive and um, up until um, my eldest was three, then I thought I could, I was thought I was great at listening. <laughs> and then it kind of, I realised there was this whole world of expression that I had m- kind of missed by opening up the possibility of being more present. And when I experienced that and allowed, trusted in my child, then um, amazing things do happen. And the clarity that they get at the end of it is um, really, really beautiful. And it helps you feel more connected. I think that's a really important point about trust because what I notice when I teach a lot is we kind of, we go into the session and we sort of explain, or I'll explain what emotional release is and how how stay listening works and the benefits of it. And sometimes people will take this idea that crying is good and my child having an emotional release is good and they'll kind of go away and almost with absolutely the best of intentions, almost try and push their child into it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that really backfires. So I think there's a piece around agendas that Mm -hmm. we have to trust that our kid will bring those feelings when they're good and ready and they will release those feelings in the way that works for them when they're good and ready. And our job is to be there and hold the space when it comes. Mm -hmm. But if they're not ready, if the time is not right, if we've got an agenda, then then that might not happen. And that's totally fine as well. yeah, I'm a little bit distracted at the moment because I've got You've thunder got outside thunder. my house. Yeah. I can hear it now. Yes, <laughs> here in the UK it is pouring and thunder and lightning over my house, so apologies for the sound quality. <laughs> but that's a very important point, Laura, you know, talking about agendas, because another thing we commonly do is kind of refer to the end of the emotional release. When you're feeling better, oh, we'll do that when you've finished, um, when you've got all your crying out, you know, and, and that also kind of, brings an agenda and um, it doesn't have the same effect as just being and accepting. And Stacey, you know, you said it's so simple. And this is a beautiful example of simple and easy are not the same thing. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Just in tandem with that point, often we want to refer to them crying as well and say, oh, let it out, have a good cry. Mm. And, And we find that although, again, that's done with the best of intentions, that also can interrupt that process and that, in fact, all you really need to focus on is sort of sending messages of safety and reassuring them that you care. So it's, you know, I care, you're safe. I care, you're safe. That's sort of the only things that you really Mm. need to refer to Um, and that seems to bring about, certainly my experience has been that, that brings about the best results. Whereas if I start to talk about, oh, once you've had a good cry, you know, mm. let it out, that kind of thing, that really seems to interrupt it. Sorry, Stacey, yeah. what were you going to say? I was just going off of one of Laura's other points about having the agenda that oftentimes these opportunities to stay listen happen over little tiny things. 
um, which I think is kind of an important thing to note. Like, absolutely, we always see lots of like parenting jokes or different things like that about like, oh, my kid just like had the most epic meltdown about the blue cup or the way that I cut their sandwich or things like that. Just little tiny things and they'll choose to have the big upset over the tiny thing. And we want to recognize that that is a very typical way that children will enter into those big feelings is through a tiny little thing that doesn't go their way. I was just thinking, Stacey, I have a good uh, example in the last week of Mm -hmm. noticing that um, when we build connection and safety, then the feelings bubble up to the surface. So often we find ourselves stay listening after a period of really good connection, Mm, (laughs) which can seem um, counterintuitive, but... Um, I notice that with my children a lot, that they'll bring their feelings when they know that I'm actually really have been with them. Um, So I was thinking of an example this week where I was with one of my children who was um, really interested in Harry Potter and found a feather. We found a feather at the side of the road and wanted to write just like they do on Harry Potter films with a feather like a quill. And I kind of quickly realised that there was feelings bubbling under there and it was a pretext kind of this this clearly wasn't going to work as magically as it does on the film, but um, they were using it as a way to to show me um, some strong feelings they were having about this feather. So we tried different kind of, and I did the kind of fix it thing for a bit, mm. tried different types of paint and different types of ink to see if we could get this feather to write beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a lot of frustration coming. <laughs> but eventually then I just kind of stopped and, oh, this is, it's not going to be like it is in the film. <laughs> and, and they had a really, really big cry and it wasn't about the feather, it wasn't about mm. the, the quill. But I noticed a direct connection with the resilience, the feeling of resilience, because after that opportunity to really, really cry deeply about how frustrating this was, I'm never going to be able to do it. I'm never going to solve this problem then out the other end, then they popped themselves up at the table, got the thing. I think we'll use a different type of paint and just clear-eyed, thinking really lucidly on the back of it. Sorry, I didn't explain that story very well. I think you explained it beautifully. I yeah, really, me too. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded very f- familiar to me, that kind of arc of emotion, that, that process of frustration, that process of offloading it and then coming Coming back out, Patty has a beautiful article on the Hand in Hand website called uh, Backbone and Bounce. And it's that idea of with resilience, you're building strength and backbone and you're building that ability to bounce back. I think we're all thinking about early hurts and how this can help with those longer stored hurts. And I have a story about this. A child I know had lots of early hurts and lots of big behaviours and really, really let those big feelings out one day in the car with his dad and for about 45 minutes, I think, really cried hard for no particular reason, just got in the car and started crying hard and saying about kindy it was. I don't want my little sister to go to kindy. And this dad just drove because there wasn't a lot of other options and said, you know, I'm here. That sounds really hard. And this little one cried and cried and cried and really let out some 
big kind of terror about the teacher had left me alone and um, there was like an octopus in the toilet and it was just all this terror and huge feelings from two or three years earlier. So I'd been holding on to these feelings. And what that dad reported is that this child who'd had really severe separation anxiety from the next day could go to the toilet by himself, age six for the first time, and could play in the next room by himself for the first time and was far more relaxed about separation generally. So I think, again, we can just trust them that they're using our attention just how they need to, to sometimes heal from really big hurts that might not even make any sense to us as grown-ups. It's like an octopus mm. in the toilet, really? That's okay. But for them, that terror, it's like us when we have a bad dream and you, you've just got this horrible feeling. Mm. It's really been inside them for a long time. So it's such a powerful tool. Um, and I think we're really guessing at how it works a lot of the time. We don't really know. But if we bring that trust, it really operates beautifully to help help build resilience, help build capacity. I think it's amazing to see when a child goes through a big episode like that and they come out the other side with whatever it is, with new developmental skills or with new confidence. Um, and I think probably we've all experienced that in our work with other parents and also in our own parenting. But I think it's just worth flagging as well that sometimes you won't see a huge leap and that doesn't mean that anything's wrong. Like it might just be that they're just really upset about something and just you being there is wonderful. Like it might just be that. And sometimes you might see this huge stuff. And we often talk about it like peeling an onion. Like sometimes there are just layers and layers and layers and it can take a while. It can take days or weeks or months of doing this before your child really trusts that you really will be there even in the big stuff enough to then be able to bring the maybe the bigger, deeper, longer issues. Um, and the other thing I always say when I'm teaching is this is not a tool that you can fake. Like you can fake special time. You can fake delight and wondrousness in Lego for five minutes, mm -hmm. but you can't, I don't think you can adequately fake like real attentive presence in the face of a very upset child. And I think it's worth just, if you are new to this, just checking in with yourself if you're trying it and just the point at which you're not feeling comfortable and able to really be there and listen is the point at which it's fine to distract your child and just move out of that situation um, and, and know that they will bring the feelings again. That's not yeah. going to be the only opportunity that you ever get to listen. Um, That's such an important point. It is. Because it can kick up a lot for us. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had mentioned that it's important to gauge our own like bandwidth for it. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's not a tool we can fake. And oftentimes we have to use some of the other tools to get us mm. to a point where stay listening um, is something that we can do well with our kids. And that's typically listening partnerships and taking our feelings about whatever it is um, to another adult and essentially having them stay listen to us so that then we can go back and stay listen to our kid. Mm. Totally. Yeah, I've lost track of the number of times where I've had a like a tough week and my kids have been remarkably unemotional. And then after I've kind of offloaded all my own stuff, then there'll mm. be two or three days. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I wanted to feel so much better. <laughs> yeah, they do. They have a radar for us. They bring it. Amazing. It's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I actually actually experienced the other day, you know, Stacey, we were just talking about, 
you know, you might need to use another tool if you can't stay listen. And that exact thing happened to me where we were on the way home from school and the boy said, what did you buy us? I said, well, food, you know, <laughs> no, we wanted toys. And this like, oh, ungrateful, entitled, spoiled. Oh. And I, and I said, I didn't buy toys. And they obviously started getting upset and I was in that space of like, oh my gosh, am I raising? And I knew that I couldn't stay listening in that moment, but I would definitely take it to my listening partner. Why is this so triggering for me? And what I ended up doing instead was saying, imagine if I bought you a new toy every single day. Soon it'll fill up the whole playroom so that the doors break and then they spill out onto the lawn. And then I keep buying you more toys. And then it's going to roll down the lawn into the rest of the estate and no one's going to be able to drive their cars. And we all ended up laughing and laughing at this ridiculous idea of like toys filling the province of Mpumalanga. And um, they were fine after that, but that, that was... A, a clue for me like okay cool let's go and unpack why this is so triggering for you and why you couldn't listen in that moment so I ended up play listening there while I was driving but <laughs> yeah <laughs> amazing and I think that's one of the messages that we want to put out with this podcast is that our the tools here are 100% interchangeable if you don't have the bandwidth to stay listen, and you know that's what your your kid's kind of searching for, there are other things that you can do in that moment to get you through it, and there will be more opportunities. There will always be more opportunities to use all the tools, but really, you can use any of them. They're completely interchangeable for the most part on any mm-hmm. anything that comes up. So right. So... One of the beautiful things about stay listening is that we're really not doing very much and it's all about our presence and how we feel in ourselves and how um, we feel in our bodies and how much um, capacity we have. But it can be, it's a bit of a elusive thing to explain mm-hmm. <laughs> and it can help to, it's like there's no instruction manual of, it's kind of do less, say less. Um something that we try not to do is to name the feelings or to bring that kind of heavy analysis of what's going on. I mean, you say that we follow the lead of the child and try not to impose anything on it or have an agenda. Yeah, and the naming of feelings, I wanted to add one thing to that, and that was the fact that tears don't only mean sadness. Shouting doesn't only mean anger. And Who are we to say how our child's actually feeling? Mm-hmm. You know, I... Rather, they are feeling it in their bodies and listening to their bodies, and maybe there isn't a name for it. That's okay. Rather that than you are telling them what they are and what they're feeling. Yeah, and we can be feeling lots of different things at exactly. the same time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And really, we're just guessing. And so, what's the point, right? It's They need to figure mm-hmm. that out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's a real tweak to be, there's so much in the current mm-hmm. um like how, what do you call it parenting culture parenting culture the whole yeah. global movement which um there's a lot of really beautiful stuff about uh, being more aware and um, being able to understand our emotions and connect in, in a mindful way and there is a tendency always to be moving to calm mm. calm down and that in itself can be can be really helpful yeah and it can really push away feelings it can send a really strong message that yeah. these feelings are too much for me to these are not welcome um and i work so much um here in 
the voices of adults who have all these feelings they've had to push away, push mm. away for years and years and years. I was thinking about Lara's onion thing that I think we've all been the product of different layers of the onion being laid on mm. mm-hmm. um, by not having a space to be able to be authentic with our feelings. And every time that we offer a safe space for our children, then it's just it's one less layer, it's one uh, opportunity for them to be heard. Yeah. Kelly, would you like to say something about, so often people associate crying babies or crying children with the concept of cry it out. Would you like to say mm. something about the difference between what we're Okay. Saying? There's a huge difference between stay listening and crying out. Yes, in both cases, the baby or child is crying, but when we stay listen, we are being incredibly responsive. It might not be trying to stop the crying, but we are responding with our full attention and presence and love. Crying it out is something that was developed with the thought of babies and children being able to self-soothe and figure it out on their own, these big feelings. Mm-hmm. The parent is, is usually not present and the baby or child is usually by themselves or at least feel like they're by themselves. Um, where stay listening, we are being incredibly responsive. So we're still not trying to stop them from crying, but we are there with our full attention, all of our love, our warmth, often they're in our arms. It's by no means a um, cried out situation. It's, it's very much tuning in and being there for them in that moment. You're just not trying to, trying to make it stop. You're letting it unfold with the full trust that your baby or child knows what they're doing. Yeah, there's a big part there about the stay. Mm. <laughs> the stay. stay listen. Yes, exactly. I mean, exactly. Yeah. The stay. And even when a, an older child especially might resist your presence because they don't want to feel the stuff. Mm. They want to yeah. avoid their feelings. And they might be really adept at avoiding their feelings. Then we we do still stay um, in a... This is a dance that yes. um, we've all experienced. But it might take the form of, I've done this quite a few times, of um, leave me alone and you don't understand. And then the note under the door for an older child can be really nice. Mm. Or I'm going to stay with you. You're having a hard time. I'm going to stay. So, yeah, you're right. The stay is crucial. I love that note under the door. Yeah. I mean, I'm picturing my kids tearing up the notes, but I still think oh, it's so oh, yeah. I've had <laughs> Oh, yeah, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some beautiful examples of like the note, like, writ, like I've written a big heart and a love when I put it on the door and it comes back with this big cross <laughs> right through the middle of it. And again and again, I just keep putting the note. And that's it. just another form of emotional you. expression. And like getting keeps, the feelings yeah, it out. Keeps coming <laughs> and then eventually I've, I've had really lovely examples of a stay listening episode like this and then the the note the note and the note and you keep doing it um and then on the back of that maybe a couple of days later getting the most beautiful loving cards and notes to me like completely unprompted and very sweet very sweet um i think it is really helpful although 99% of what we're doing here is our presence Mm. It's not really about what we say. 
Mm-hmm. And I did find it very helpful. There was an article about what to say during stay listening. So mm. that idea of mm. uh, five words or less was a mm-hmm. big help to me because I'm a talker. So it was really helpful to think, okay, I just need to not explain and not in any way negotiate or in any way mm. rationalise, but just even just the little, oh, mm. Those noises were, it was so helpful to know that, okay, that's what I need to be saying is just, I'm here. I'm sorry. Mm. I see it's hard. Um, and also sometimes that confidence of, um, I think you're going to have a good day. It's hard right now. Mm. But, and, and I think that confidence actually really has been a helpful thing too at times where they've been able to say no I'm you know I'm never going to feel good ever again (laughs) because that's really how it feels but it sort Mm. of it helps to know that someone's holding out this beautiful warm confidence that you can get through this yeah yeah it's the tone isn't it Mm -hmm. because I know myself if I'm upset and somebody is overly oh dear Mm. (laughs) (laughs) then I'm just like oh Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but if somebody is just compassionate but neutral it gives you that confidence that they can see that you're going to get mm-hmm. through it which I think mm-hmm. is um goes along with Laura's point uh, that she made earlier of not being able to fake this one mm-hmm. because if you come in with too much like oh oh you know that's like they're like oh uh, yeah. you know um like uh I don't think I want to do this right now you know um, they can tell, or if you're um, anxious about the thing that they're upset about, like, say, going to a sports thing or going to school and they're older and they're having some separation things. Like, those things, they can tell when we're, like, about it, mm-hmm. too. And it's just, you can't fake it. it. It's a tool that you really have to be able to give your full attention and not be blocked by your own um, feelings about their feelings. Absolutely. Something I find really helpful sometimes is if I'm listening to a child that's really in the midst of a big upset and they can't think so clearly, but that if I just really, really gently stroke them, maybe on the arm or on the leg, um, that signals to them that I'm in my thinking mind and that I'm present and I'm really, that works really well. I don't have to say anything, but they're aware that I'm not super tense or about to get frustrated or something. Mm, That's lovely. The other thing that I think of a lot with stay listening is I think a lot of advice is teaching your children to self-regulate, teaching your children to handle their emotions and kind of being like, give them the tools, give them the tools, give them the tools. And you get, you know, calming jars and calming tents and punching bags and all those things. And I think if you, they they have a place, but um, the very important thing here is that, especially with young children, but they need our brains, they need our calm brains and our presence to feel safe. And I think Patty spoke about it once, um, when someone asked about a punching bag and why she said a punching bag, you know, sending a child to punch a punching bag when they're angry um, can actually re-stimulate them and make them angry and make them more upset because they're alone with that anger. It's them and the punching bag. Right. Those tools 
it would be amazing if you sat with your child and or your child saw you using a calming jar because they do start experimenting with self-regulation. They, they, if, if you are someone who goes, I need to just go and take some deep breaths, I'm feeling overwhelmed, you might find your child going, oh, I want to have some alone time or whatever it is. They do start to do that at a stage. Um, so I guess if your child saw you sitting with a calming jar, shaking it when you're feeling overwhelmed, maybe they'll give it a try. <laughs> but otherwise... Um, I think we, we need to just accept the fact that we can't replace ourselves for our children. We can't replace ourselves with tools and mm-hmm. tricks and tools. We really are a very important part of, of the equation when it comes we to are the tool. feelings. We are we the are. tool. <laughs> we are. Yeah. We're the tool. Are, because we, they have to co-regulate before they can self-regulate. And they have to mm. feel like they can co-regulate with somebody hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before their brains are able to self-regulate. So giving them the jar, giving them the feelings charts, those Mm. are all good and fine outside of emotional moments. But during one, they need us, period. They They need, well, an adult, a a calm adult. Mm. And I think all of those ideas are predicated on the idea that we want to get away from the big feelings as fast as possible and we want to not see any of those. And the only place to be is is feeling happy and Mm. I don't know there's something really great about getting to the point where you welcome this whole human being in front of you and you're not so scared anymore of of the trickier feelings or the the feelings that we're less accustomed to Mm. I should say and their feelings are not our fault we're not responsible for them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so often it can feel it can be quite hard to detach your child's feelings from you in some way because we feel we feel so responsible for our kids we, we are responsible for so much of our children but um to go you know what it's not it's well maybe maybe it is your fault that they're angry about something but you are not responsible for their feelings mm-hmm. yeah so i think um we should end with without going into great detail just how the heck do you do this <laughs> <laughs> as a as a real sort of bottom up kind of thing where where mm. you're not because I I I was a top down person I tried to fake it a lot in the early days and it ended in tears i.e. my tears a lot I think the only way to get to a point where you're not faking it with this is listening partnerships absolutely I really think that's a huge part of the success of this tool of being able to honour everything they bring and have that really clean experience of stay listening where you really aren't bringing your emotional baggage, Mm. you're able to just be there for them. Mm -hmm. You just have to clear out your own pipes first. It's the only way. hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. It's a reciprocal Mm. thing. It has to be ongoing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Because there's only so much. That's what I love about this so much. It's, um, you can't just like solve all your problems and then you'll be able to be just the perfect um, emotional conduit for your family. It's like every day, every day is a new one and it's, it has to be ongoing. Mm-hmm. And as they grow up and get upset about different things, that's going to trigger different stuff in you and you constantly yep. revisiting, why did that make me feel that way? Why did that make me react that way? And I think it's, yeah, we've, we've touched on the fact that 
you've got to be in the right space and it's okay if you can't do it you know you don't have to be this perfect conduit every time your child has an upset there are going to be times that we just cannot um yeah i think with these tools that are so amazing and so effective parents want to be able to do it as all the time and get it right every time and it's so okay not to get it right every time yeah and I think because the tools are so interchangeable like there isn't necessarily a right Mm. right like you can use different tools for the same situation based on your own capacity at the moment if listening is too hard or whatever Um, but I do notice for myself that my ability to listen to my kids is upset is directly correlated with um, the amount of listening time, not necessarily the number of minutes, but the the consistency of my listening partnership yes. um, and the amount of time that I have to kind of offload things, even if it's just like five minutes here and there, is so helpful as long as it's ongoing and mm. fairly consistent for me. The more that I have that, the bigger my capacity is to listen to my kids. And if I haven't, if I've had a week where I haven't had any at all, which happens, I notice that I'm much more short-tempered and I don't want to listen. I can't listen to the feelings. Like, I just mm-hmm. can't get there. I find myself having to, to use other things. So, yeah, it's, it's one that you have to be supported with, I feel like. Agreed. I, I do want to just say to any and all parents listening and to all of you who are lovely faces I'm looking at and to myself really, thank you so much for experimenting with this tool. Thank you so much for every minute you've ever spent listening to your child because it really matters. Like every single minute that you manage to do this with everything in you, with your whole heart, is actually literally changing the world. Like it's changing our ability to be with big feelings as a culture. Mm. It's changing our ability to face up to hard things. It's changing our ability to have resilience. It's just so powerful. So thank you. Thank you for doing this important work. Oh, I love that, Belinda. Hey, thank you, Belinda. Thank you so much for being with us at Tales from the Toolbox today. We're so grateful to have you here and for everything you do for your family. Remember, when we tell these tales, we have the benefit of hindsight and years of experience with these tools to make sense of what happened. And even with that, in the moment, it still often feels messy. So if you're finding parenting tough or having a hard time doing things in a new way, please remember to be kind to yourself. You're a pioneer, quite possibly breaking patterns that have been passed down for generations. That takes courage, hard work and support. And it's really normal for things to get rocky at times. You are a good parent doing your best with what you have. And your kids are lucky to have you. We wanted to share a little overview of Hand in Hand Parenting and our tools to give you a sense of this approach. Hand in Hand Parenting is a not-for-profit organisation founded by Patty Whipfler over 30 years ago in America. Now a global phenomenon with more than 170 certified instructors worldwide, our mission is to help parents when parenting gets hard. The core of our approach is a simple one, listening. And we bring five simple tools to meet your everyday parenting challenges. Special time is like a magical regular dose of connection. We set aside one-on-one time to spend with our children, naming it, timing it, 
scheduling it and really bringing our 100% attention and warmth to this child-led play. Stay listening is a way of being with our child through their big feelings, without distracting, scolding or lecturing. We maintain safety and we pour our warm attention in while they pour out the hard feelings they've been carrying, emerging lighter and more able to be flexible and use their full intelligence. Play listening is a great tool to use with one or more children. While connecting through play, we take the less powerful role and follow their giggles without tickling. This isn't a permissive approach. We prioritize setting limits early and often, but we also know the power of bringing a limit close and warm, and sometimes even playfully. Our children may not get what they want, but they get what they need, us. Finally, the balance point these rest on is the parent support tool of listening partnerships. A regular meeting between two parents in person, by phone or online, listening partnerships are marked by complete confidentiality, with trust and time and an agreed upon set of guidelines, including not interrupting, giving advice or trying to fix things, parents use this judgment-free zone to process their own early experiences and big feelings in order to show up in just the ways they want to. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and are inspired to give some of these ideas a go. All of the stories we tell happen in real life and we have permission to share them with you. So to protect the privacy of those involved, we've occasionally changed some identifying details. If you want to learn more about the topics discussed today or find contact details for each of our podcast hosts, check out our show notes or visit the Hand in Hand Parenting website at www.handinhandparenting.org. You can also email us at talesfromthetoolbox at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Tales from the Toolbox Podcast. This podcast was created and recorded by the five of us, Alice, Belinda, Kelly, Lara, and Stacy. And we want to express our heartfelt appreciation to Patty Whipfler and the worldwide hand-in-hand parenting community. Huge thanks also go to the Shetland crew, Alice, Jonathan, and Reuben for their amazing skills, patience, and support with sound, music, and editing. And of course, thank you to our amazing children, all 11 of them. Their presence in our lives set us on this path and they travel this journey towards connection with us each and every day. As together, we navigate the laughter and tears, frustration and wonder of parenting. It is an immense privilege to spend these years together. We love you, kiddos. kiddos.